Hey guys, welcome to the hashtag Get Real Woke podcast. I'm your host, Frederick D. Scott. I'm a private equity investor, a business consultant, a philanthropist, an author, and a contributing writer for Entrepreneur Magazine. I have over 15 years of experience in the finance industry, and I used to own an investment banking and advisory firm. Currently, I hold the Financial Modeling and Valuation Analyst designation, the Capital Markets and Securities Analyst designation, the Commercial Banking and Credit Analyst designation, and a Diploma in Islamic Finance. And today is hashtag for the free Friday. This is the time where I come on every week and I teach you everything that I think you need to know relative to finance and business development to achieve the things you want to achieve in your personal and professional life. Now, before I get into today's topic, I need everybody to hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the bell notification, leave me a comment at the bottom of this video to let me know what you think, and definitely hit the join button to join the hashtag Real Woke Live Chat community so you can be eligible to participate in the hashtag Learn to Earn Cash Giveaway through which I am giving away a minimum of $1,000 every month live right here on the hashtag Get Real Woke podcast. Okay, so today's topic, we are going to now begin our journey into my retail investing series. Before we get started today, my lawyers tell me that I have to read a disclosure, so let me go ahead and do that, so that way we get that covered and we are out of the way with that. So here we go. The information provided by Frederick D. Scott FMVA is general in nature and for educational purposes only. Frederick D. Scott FNVA is not a lawyer and no information provided by Frederick D. Scott FNVA through websites, social media accounts, videos, infographics, or any other form of communication should be construed by the listener as legal advice in any way, shape, form, or capacity. Frederick D. Scott FNVA is not an enrolled agent or any form of tax consultant. No information provided by Frederick D. Scott FMVA should be construed by the listener as tax advice. Frederick D. Scott FMVA and Frederick D. Scott LLC are not investment advisors as defined in the Investment Advisor Act of 1940, nor registered representatives, broker dealers, investment companies, or any other form of investment practitioner that is covered under the Security and Exchange Act of 1933 as amended, the Investment Advisor Act of 1940, or any other federal or state statute related and or relevant to the same. 
No information provided by Frederick D. Scott FNVA through websites, social media accounts, videos, infographics, or any other form of communication is meant to create either directly or indirectly any form of fiduciary obligation or investment advisory relationship with the listener. Use of any information provided by Frederick D. Scott FNVA through websites, social media accounts, videos, infographics, or any other form of communication is at your own risk. The listener should consult with their own legal counsel, tax advisor, and or financial advisor before making use of any of the information provided in the communication mediums described in this disclosure and disclaimer statement for their own specific situation. Trading securities, commodities, commodity futures, currencies, and options of any kind involves a potential for substantial risk of loss. Any opinions, news, research analysis contained herein is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Frederick D. Scott FNBA and Frederick D. Scott LLC assumes no responsibility for any loss or damage, including without limitation to any loss of profit, which may arise directly or indirectly from use or reliance on such information. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All right. So I read my disclosure and disclaimer statement. So now with that, we got the green light. We good to go. We can go ahead and jump right into this and get started. So today in, in, in the first part of, of my retail investing series, what I like to do is go through the types of accounts that are available if you are considering doing any sort of investing, be it retirement planning, be it, you know, college savings planning for your kids, whether it be opening a specific type of investment account for your children or just an individual account or joint account for yourself. So in order to be able to invest, you have to open an account first. And so what I want to do between today and next week's hashtag for the free Friday is break down uh, the different types of investment accounts available to you and kind of give you a brief overview of kind of what they are, how they work, etc. Now. I want you to know that if you are interested and, and you're not, you don't have the time or to sit down or, or, and watch this video, or if you, you know, have some other commitments that will prevent you from sitting down and watching these podcast episodes, I actually did write a book on this called investing for success, investing tips for the everyday person. And I'm going to drop a link in the description and I'm also going to pin it in cards to this video and it'll be available at the end of the video as well. So if you want to pick up a copy of my ebook and read that to delve further into these topics, uh, I think that would be greatly beneficial for you. So that might be something you might want to do and check out. All right. With that said, let's go ahead and get into this. So as I said, there are a multitude of, well, I wouldn't really say a multitude. There are just a number of different types of investment accounts uh, that you can set up uh, to be able to achieve your long-term financial goals. 
And what I'm going to demonstrate uh, through the, the course of this series is the fact that, you know, to achieve what you really want to achieve, you're going to have to use several different means and mediums to be able to achieve that. And you'll begin to understand that as we get started. So let's get started. What is the first type of, of, of investment account that you can, can gain access to? So the first type of investment account is what we call a standard brokerage account. Now, this is also sometimes called a taxable or non-retirement account. And how does it work? So what it does is it provides access to a broad range of investments, such as stocks, mutual funds, bonds, exchange-traded funds, etc. Now, this type of standard brokerage account can be opened as an individual, which means you by yourself. It's opened by an individual who retains ownership of the account and will be solely responsible for the taxes generated in that account, right? So that would be an individualized standard brokerage account. One person owns it, one person's responsible for it, one person's also require, uh, responsible for the taxes uh, that may or may not be due on that account. And we'll get to that in a second. The other way that you can open a standard brokerage account is by opening a joint uh, standard brokerage account. And what that is, is an account shared by two or more people. Now, typically, uh, when we talk about, you know, a joint account, typically this is a spouse. However, it can be opened with anyone. So it doesn't have to be a family member or a spouse or anything like that. You can actually open a joint account with Anybody you want to open a joint account with, a joint brokerage account. Now, when you go through the account opening process to open a brokerage account, you're going to go through the same things that you would if you were opening a traditional bank account. And what I mean by that is, you know, you're going to have to verify your identity. You're going to have to produce your social security number. If you're opening the investment account in the name of your business, you're going to have to produce, you know, your, your uh, incorporation documents, your bylaws or operating agreement, depending on whether you're an LLC or a C corporation, excuse me. And you're also going to have to go through what's called KYC and AML. And I actually spoke on that when I in my uh, PPP loan process secrets video. So if you want a refresher on what KYC and AML is, I definitely recommend that you go back and check out that video. One of the other things that they're going to ask you, and, and, and before I get into that now, so to be eligible to open a standard brokerage account, you also have to be 18 years of age or older here in the United States. So let's put that out there for the record as well. Now, when you open a standard brokerage account, uh, part of the account opening process, they're going to ask you if you want a cash account or a margin account. A cash account means that whatever you deposit into that account is what you have to invest in whatever it is you're trying to invest in, be it stocks, bonds, mutual funds, index funds, exchange traded funds, et cetera, et cetera. That, uh, the, the cash that you have in that account is the only cash that you have available to use. Now, if you are going to open an account and you're going to open a margin-based standard uh, brokerage account, what that means is not only are you going to be using the cash that you have in your account, but you're also going to be borrowing money from the brokerage house to be able to invest that money as well 
into whatever it is that you're trying to invest in, be it stocks, bonds, mutual funds, et cetera, et cetera. Now, let me make it very clear about margin. First of all, margin is credit driven, right? Of course, because the financial institution is issuing you a loan. And so that being the case, of course, that's going to be a credit driven product. It's also a limited credit driven product. And what I mean by that is it's not like you're going to get a margin loan and that cash is going to be something that you can just take out of the bank and uh, or out of your brokerage account and run off and go do something else with it. That that loan that they're giving you is restricted for the specific use of investing through the brokerage account you set up with them into uh, what they call approved investment types. And those approved investment types will be based on your experience, right? So, you know, they may give you margin for stocks, they may give you margin for bonds, they may give you margin for options, et cetera, et cetera, right? Now, what is the drawback of margin? First and foremost, I want you to know that for the average retail investor, I would not recommend a margin account. Why? Because of course, when you borrow that money, right? And you mix it with your cash. Yes, you can magnify your gains because you have more money to use. The amount of money that you can make is more uh, when you aggregate it out. Now, here's the thing though. It also magnifies your losses. So if you're taking losses with, and you have your cash plus money that you borrowed uh, from the brokerage house, the financial institution to be able to invest in you, and you're taking substantial losses uh, in your investment strategy, what will happen is the brokerage house, the financial institution can do what's called a margin call. And what is a margin call? So a margin call happens when basically they say, hey, you know, we need you to deposit more money into this account to cover the losses that we've taken on the loan that we've given you for your investment purposes. And if you don't have the cash to post or sufficient and acceptable collateral to post, say, you know, it could be, they may be willing to accept real estate as posted collateral. They may be willing to accept cryptocurrency as posted collateral. But if you don't have those types of things and you don't have cash to post uh, as collateral to continue using the margin, what they'll do is begin to sell the securities unilaterally. And that means on their own at their discretion, they have the right to do that. They will sell the securities in your account to be able to recoup the losses on the margin loan they gave you. In my opinion, I don't feel that the average retail investor, especially if you're a new retail investor and you're just starting to begin to invest for the long term. And it's in even more, especially in our community, if you are a member of our community, where the average income is somewhere, I believe I saw, 
I believe the average income in our community is somewhere around 40 something thousand dollars a year, 30 something thousand dollars a year, something like that. I'd have to go look at that specific number again. So don't quote me on that. Um, but given where the average income is in our community for the members of our community, I highly recommend against using margin accounts. I really think that you should be using an all cash account. So that way you, you, you mitigate or lessen your downside risk. So that's that, right? So there, there it is. Now with a standard brokerage account, there are no limits on the amount of money that you can contribute to that investment account. You put as much money as you want in there as many times as you want, uh, you know, and, and you can do that. However, understand that money can be withdrawn at any time, typically. There are some exceptions to that, and I do want to cover some of the exceptions so you understand. Obviously, you're not going to be able to withdraw money from your account if you owe money on a margin loan until you pay that margin loan back first, and then you can start taking withdrawals from that account anytime you see fit. Another thing that you need to consider is, so the first step is establishing an account for which you can invest from. If you've elected to invest in things such as, and we'll get into this in a second, Roth IRAs, traditional IRAs, if you made a decision to invest in uh, an index fund, an exchange traded fund, there may be limitations to how you, how and when you can withdraw that money. There may be penalties or interest associated with withdrawing that money. For example, uh, and I'll talk about this more when I get to Roth IRA, but what I do want to talk about is let's say you're invested in a type of index fund that has, let's say a one or two year lockup period. And so they say they don't want you to take out the money for one or two years. And if you take it out early, they'll allow you to do that, but they're going to hit you with a penalty for that, right? So, you know, while you can take out money anytime, know that based on the types of investments that you are using and utilizing to be able to grow uh, your retirement savings or if you're using it for some other purpose, some other long-term purpose, understand that some of the investments that you make may carry their own types of penalties and tax consequences for taking out the money early. And we're going to talk about that more in a bit. Now, what I do want to get into now are retirement accounts. So let's talk about the different types of retirement accounts that you have available to yourself. Now, so first of all, what are retirement accounts? Common types of retirement accounts, and you've probably heard of a lot of these before. So common types of retirement accounts are like uh, IRAs. And what is an IRA? IRA stands for individual retirement account. That's what that stands for, right? So you have IRAs, you have Roth IRAs, uh, you also have SEP IRAs, simple IRAs, 401ks, solo 401ks, 403bs, and TSP. TSP is a thrift savings plan, and I'm going to touch on that lightly today uh, because it's specifically for uh, federal workers and uniformed service members. So, but I will touch on that lightly today. Now, those are the different common types of retirement accounts. And of course, 
as it's indicated, a retirement account is set up specifically for the purpose of saving money for retirement, right? So let's get into some of the common types of retirement accounts that are available to the retail investing community. And near the end of this, I'm going to go through some, some places that I think would be good places to kind of open and establish, you know, either an individual brokerage account or, you know, a retirement account, et cetera, et cetera. And some of the other things that you need to consider, but I'm going to get there. I'm definitely going to get there. Give me a second. Okay. So the first uh, type of retirement I want to talk about is the Roth IRA, right? The Roth individual retirement account. Now, Roth IRAs are funded with after-tax dollars, right? What does that mean, after-tax dollars? What that means is that the contributions that you make, any type of money, so when I say contribution, I mean any money that you put into the Roth IRA is not eligible for a, a tax deduction, right? So you're putting after-tax dollars into your Roth IRA. So that is first. That's the first thing you need to know about Roth IRA. The second thing you need to know is that because you're putting after-tax dollars in and you're not eligible for a tax deduction on those contributions, the benefit of that is that future withdrawals, withdrawals that you take out of your for uh, out of your traditional uh, I'm sorry your Roth IRA your individual retirement account your Roth individual retirement account those withdrawals are tax free however there are definitely some caveats to that and I want to get into those so first of all when you invest in a Roth IRA you have to understand that a Roth IRA has what's called a five-year rule on account earnings. And what does that mean, a five-year uh, rule on account earnings? So what that means is, and of course, you know, I got a nice little outline that I'm referencing to make sure that I hit every point, but money must sit five years from the time the Roth IRA is established and funded to avoid taxes and penalties. So when you first open or establish a Roth IRA in, in a Roth individual retirement account, and you fund that account, from that time, you have a five-year waiting period before you can even begin to consider taking out any sort of withdrawals from that Roth IRA without interest and penalties. So that's number one. Now, that five-year rule is on account earnings. There's a difference between account earnings and contributions. Account earnings, right, uh, is money that is made on the contributions. So let's say that you have established a Roth IRA and through that Roth IRA, you've decided to allocate your money towards an index fund. And let's say you allocated $1,000 towards an index fund in January. And by January of the next year, you've made a 10% return on that money. So you've essentially made $100. So now your account has $1,100 in there. If you try to take out that $100, right, that profit, that those earnings, right, before the five-year period, you will be subject to interest and penalties. 
Now, there are such things as what are called qualified distributions in a Roth IRA. And guys, I'm trying to break this down as simply as I can. So if I'm losing anybody, if you're confused in any way, shape or form, please, please drop me a comment in below, uh, below this video. And I'll definitely elaborate and clear up any uh, confusion that you have. Now, let's get back to qualified distributions. So in a Roth IRA, there is the possibility for qualified distributions. And a qualified distribution works like this. At any time, you can withdraw contributions from your Roth IRA tax and penalty free, provided you only take an amount equal to what you've put in. This can be done at any age. So let's say, so your contributions, remember your contributions are the money that you are putting into the Roth IRA. So let's say you put $1,000 into the Roth IRA and you decide you want to take $1,000 out of the Roth IRA. That's a qualified distribution that you can do that because that is your contribution, right? You contributed a thousand, you take out a thousand, done, finished, right? So you do that at any time without uh, any type of interest or penalties. However, if you touch those earnings uh, before that five-year, um, rule period expires, you're going to be subject to interest and penalties on those earnings. Now, there are more things that you need to know. Now, so if, if you have met the five-year rule, right, where it says that the money, the, from the time you open and fund the account, the money has to sit for five years. If you've met the five-year rule, here's something else you need to know. Withdrawals on earnings before 59 and a half. Notice I said earnings. I didn't say contributions. Withdrawals on earnings before 59 and a half are subject to taxes and penalties, except if you use the money for a first time home purchase. But if you are using the money for a first time home purchase, you have a lifetime cap amount of $10,000. What that means is that you can take up to $10,000 out of that Roth IRA without any interest and penalties and use it toward the purchase of a, your first home. You can do that. This, and this is before you are 59 and a half. Another way is that let's say uh, you become permanently disabled. If you become permanently disabled and you've met the five-year rule, you can then begin to access your uh, earnings and contributions. But more specifically, what we're talking about here is earnings. You can access your earnings before 59 and a half, right, without getting hit with taxes and penalties. The other way you can do it is if you pass away. So if you pass away, unfortunately, the beneficiaries uh, that you that you whose names you put down, because of course, when you have a retirement account or any type of brokerage account, you should always name a beneficiary, someone that is eligible to get the money in the event of your untimely demise. Let's say you pass away. You want to make sure that you have someone in place that can just go and get that money. If you pass away before 59 and a half and you've met the five-year rule, your beneficiary can go get all of the money out of the account, interest and penalty free. Now, what happens if the money has been in the account less than five years? Let's talk about that. How does that work, right? Here's what happens. If it's 
if the five-year rule has not been met, oh yeah, by the way, Avril, if you've met the five-year rule, right, after 59 and a half, there's no penalty or taxes associated with the money that you take out of the account. Provided you're over 59 and a half, you've met that um, five-year rule, you're eligible to take that money out. No problems, no taxes, no penalties, et cetera, right? Now, what happens if the five-year rule is not met? Okay, if the five-year rule is not met and you are under the age of 59 and a half, your earnings will be subject to taxes and penalties, period. It's not negotiable. That's how it is. Your earnings will be subject to taxes and penalties. Now, if you are using the money for a first-time home purchase, qualified educational expense, unreimbursed medical expense, if you're permanently disabled and pass away, you may be able to avoid the penalty, but you will still pay the taxes if the five-year rule hasn't been met. So know that as well. Next, uh, if you are over 59 and a half, earnings are subject to taxes, but not to penalties. So if you have not met the five-year mark, right, you have not hit that five-year rule, you know, you've not satisfied that, yet you're at that 59 and a half year age and you need that money, what you can do is you can begin to take distributions. They'll be subject to taxes, but you won't have to pay any penalties, right? So that's important. Now, here are some limitations to the Roth IRA. Number one, if you make too much money and the definition of too much money in 2021 is this. If you have 140,000, if you make 140,000 or more as a single person, you cannot use a Roth IRA. Number two, if you're married and collectively you guys make more than $208,000 annually, you cannot use a Roth IRA. So let's start there. Okay. As of 2021, the max contribution the max amount of money that you can put in annually into a Roth IRA is $6,000 if you are under the age of 50. If you are over the age of 50, you can put $7,000 a year into that account. So if you're under the age of 50 as of 2021, you can put $6,000 annually into a Roth IRA. If you are over the age of 50, then you can put $7,000 annually into a Roth IRA. So that covers Roth IRA. And I hope that I, I kind of, you know, explain that really, really well for you. Now, let's talk about a traditional IRA, right? Now, with a traditional IRA, traditional IRAs are similar in the way the rules work with Roth IRAs, but there are some exceptions. And here are some of the exceptions. So number one, a traditional IRA is funded with pre-tax dollars. Remember, a Roth IRA is funded with after-tax dollars. A traditional IRA or traditional individual retirement account is funded with pre-tax dollars. And that's because you can qualify for a tax deduction on your contributions. So every contribution that you make to your traditional IRA, you can qualify for a tax deduction for that. And because of that, that gives you pre-tax dollars that you're putting into a traditional IRA. Now, the difference though, because you're putting in, because you get that tax deduction, 
And because you're able uh, to put pre-tax dollars into your traditional IRA, you will pay income tax when you withdraw the money during retirement. So the money that you retry or that you withdraw during your retirement years uh, is going to be subject to taxation because you got to put pre-tax dollars in. So one thing about it, you know, if you didn't know before, know that the IRS is always around trying to make sure they get their buck. They're going to get it now or get it later. You cannot avoid the IRS. Don't try. Like they worse than the mafia. Boy, the IRS is the federal government's mafia. Don't get it twisted. They getting theirs off the top. They want their bread. And don't pay if you don't want to. Try not to pay and see don't you go to jail. All right, look. So now, contribution limits into a traditional IRA as of 2021, if you are under 50, is the same $6,000 annually or yearly as a Roth IRA. If you're over 50, it's the same, $7,000 annually. You can put up to $7,000 a year into a traditional IRA if you're over the age of 50. If you're under the age of 50, you can put $6,000 a year into your traditional IRA until you hit 50, and then, of course, you can increase it by $1,000. Now, so... With both the Roth IRA and traditional IRA, I want you to know that you can there are only you you can only put in qualified contributions. You can only put in qualified contribution money into that. So you can only put money, qualified money into your uh your individual Roth or traditional IRA. Now, and qualified contributions tend to be earned income. It's easier though, if I just explain to you what you can't put in there, right? So what can you not put into a traditional IRA or Roth IRA? You can't put rental income or profits from property maintenance. You can't put that money into a Roth IRA. So rental income that you're making, if you're a real estate investor, you got substantial rental income, you can't use that rental income as a contribution to a Roth or traditional IRA, it can't be done. Uh, interest income. If you're getting interest from like, let's say a bond portfolio, or you just have been investing in bonds or you loan somebody some money and they're paying you interest on that money, you can't put that interest income into a Roth or traditional IRA. Okay. Pension or annuity income, right? So you draw in a pension or you have an annuity that you set up and now you are collecting uh, your scheduled distributions on that annuity. You can't now take that money and put it into a traditional Roth IRA. You just can't do it. Uh, stock dividends and capital gains from stock investing or securities investing. You can't put that money into a traditional or Roth IRA. So those are the things that you cannot put into a Roth or traditional IRA. Short of that, if you're an employee, you know, you got a salary, you know, you, you get, you know, money every two weeks, et cetera, et cetera. You can use that money. You can put that money into a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. Now, let me stop right there. And let me highlight something for you that I think is very important, right? And, 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 you know, like I, you know, what you see here is, so you have a $6,000 annual contribution that you can make if you're under 50 to a Roth IRA. You also have a $6,000 annual contribution that you're allowed to make if you're under the age of 50 for a traditional IRA, right? That's $12,000. So you see how, in order to achieve long-term savings for retirement, you have to use a few different vehicles together to be able to achieve the things that you want to achieve long-term. If you want to put more than $6,000 away a year, 
Okay, so yeah, you may have put the first 6,000 away in into a Roth IRA, but if you want to put $10,000 away towards retirement, you may put the first six in a Roth IRA, you may put the other four in a traditional IRA. But you see how you have to kind of use different types of investment tools available to you to be able to uh, save long term and take advantage of the, the, the tax efficiencies of, of saving long term using different types of retirement like investment accounts to be able to get you where it is that you want it to be. So I just kind of wanted to highlight that for you and, and, and see and get you to see kind of how this game begins to shake out. Now, you have, now I want to talk about, there are other types of IRAs too, and I kind of mentioned them up front, but I want to talk about the uh, SEP IRA or the Simplified Employee Pension IRA. So what is that, right? So what that is, is it's established by an employer or self-employed person. The employer is allowed a tax deduction on contributions made to SEP plans right? The employer contributions are discretionary. So what you see is the ASEP, it sounds a lot, very similar to a 401k plan for those of you who have 401k plans, but I'm going to talk about 401k in a second. Now, the difference between a SEP IRA, a simplified employee pension individual retirement account, a SEP IRA, the difference between that and a 401k is this. Contributions, employer contributions are vested immediately. Employer contributions are vested immediately. What does vested mean? Vested is the point which employees accrue non-forfeitable rights to employer contributions. So, for those of you who have 401ks and who are, you know, at companies that have well-established 401ks where they provide dollar matching, profit sharing, et cetera, et cetera, what you'll notice is, and what you may have experienced is that they may tell you, okay, you have, you are eligible to invest in our 401k. We provide uh, a 50% match or a dollar for dollar match up to a certain denomination. Let's say it's $10,000, $20,000, let's just say, right? However, our contribution to your 401k plan is not vested for, let's say, 24 months. What that means is, in the first two years, they're still matching you. They're doing that. But if you leave that company anytime within that 24-month period of time, you are not eligible to keep the employer contribution. So you can take your 401k with you. Uh, you can roll it over to an IRA. Some companies allow you to uh, roll over your 401k into their 401k plan, et cetera, et cetera. But when you do that, right, with a 401k, if you have not been vested yet, you will only take what you put in, not what the employer matched you with. However, with a SEP IRA, that's not the case. If your employer has set up a SEP IRA, from day one, anything they've contributed, you have a vested right in at that point. It's yours. You can take it with you. 
So that's the big difference between kind of uh, 401k and, and, and SEP IRA. That's really the really big difference uh, that I want you to take away from this conversation. Now, the other type of, of IRA that you have is what's called a savings incentive match plan for employees or short, a simple IRA. So this is also established by businesses. However, this is specifically designed for businesses that have fewer than 100 employees. That's really what it's for. So it's for smaller businesses. They have fewer than 100 employees, but what they want to do is be able to offer a cost-effective way for their employees to save for retirement. They want to be able to provide an employer-sponsored retirement plan, uh, but they don't want to go into the 401k because it might not be cost-effective for them because they're so small. So what they'll do is set up a simple IRA, which is cheaper for them, and it gives them a few things. So first of all, it's established by a business with fewer than 100 employees, as I told you. Uh, employers can choose to make a 2% retirement account contribution or an optional matching contribution of up to 3%. So it's the choice of the employer what they choose to do. Now, what you need to know about these employee-sponsored plans, uh, I'm sorry, these employer-sponsored plans is this. The max employee contribution as of 2021 is $13,500 per year. So the max that you can put towards these type of retirement plans, uh, the SEP IRA and, and the simple IRA is $13,500 annually. Now, that's if you're under the age of 50. So if you're under the age of 50, the max contribution you can make is $13,500. However, if you are over the age of 50, you can add an additional 3K on top of that $13,500. Uh, $13, so that gives you $16,500. And that additional $3,000, if you're over 50, is what they call a catch-up contribution. They're allowing you to add a little more because you're a lot closer to retirement, to the retirement age or the distribution age. And with that in mind, right, they want you to be able, they, they want to afford you the opportunity uh, to save a little bit more money. So they allow you over 50 to contribute an extra $3,000 annually into your retirement account. So I wanted to share that. Now, let's move into 401k. I told you we was going to talk about 401k. So let's get into 401k. Okay, so 401k. 401k is an employer-sponsored retirement plan that employees can contribute to on a tax-deferred basis. That's number one, right? Contributions are typically deducted from your salary. And if you have a 401k, you've already experienced this. You've decided how much money you want to put towards your 401k every single month. And that is automatically deducted out of your paycheck and applied as a contribution to your 401k retirement plan. Okay. So the max contribution, if you're under 50 for a 401k plan as of 2021, is $19,500 per year. So you can put $19,500 per year uh, into your uh, 401k plan if you are uh, under the age of 50. If you are over the age of 50, you can put up to $26,000 a year into uh, your 401k. Again, that's that catch-up contribution because as I explained before, you know, you're a lot closer to retirement. So they want to give you the opportunity to save more so you can save uh, up to $26,000. Now, 
a 401k plan does have a required minimum distribution at the age of 72. So once you reach the age of 72, if you haven't been taking distributions out of your 401k plan, the law requires that you take a minimum distribution. Uh, you begin to start taking that minimum distribution uh, at the age of 72 from your 401k plan. Now, there is a potential early distribution tax of 10% if money is withdrawn before 59 and a half. So if you are under the age of 59 and a half and you decide that you want to take money out of your 401k, there is the potential for an early distribution tax of 10%. So I just want to share that with you as well. So be aware, be aware that when you have, and, and the net effect of it is, and, and, and I just want to say this now, the net effect of retirement accounts is don't take the money out early unless you absolutely have a, a substantial need for it, or it is a, a way, it is something that is, you know, it, make sure there's a legitimate reason for it, right? Don't just, you know, willy nilly take out money because you're going to be paying interest penalties, taxes, extra penalties, early distribution penalties, all kind of crazy stuff to get your money. It's not necessary. The purpose of setting up a retirement account is to do exactly that, save for retirement. So if you're going to set up a retirement account, then use it for what it is designed to be used for, which is saving for retirement. Now, let's talk about 403B. And I want to touch on 403B really quickly because I know that some of my listeners are teachers. So 403B is for certain employees of public schools and tax exempt organizations, right? So if you work for a nonprofit organization and they have an employee sponsored plan, it's likely a 403B, right? So there's that. It's very, very similar to a 401k. The real, the real difference between a 403B and a 401k is that you know, a 403B is specifically for, you know, certain employees in public schools and nonprofit organizations. Now, the other difference is, uh, and this is one, I think the key difference, another key difference between the 401K and the 403B is that contributions total. So the total contributions, both employee and employer contributions together into an employee's 403B plan is limited to $58,000 as of 2021 or 100% of the employee's most recent annual salary. So that is that is the uh, another difference that is there between the 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 401k and the 403b. So be aware of that as well. The last thing I want to talk about today uh, because I mean, God, I've been talking for about 46 minutes now. Uh, so the last thing I want to talk about today is what we call thrift savings plans. And what is a thrift savings plan or a TSP? A thrift savings plan is similar to a 401k, right? But it's limited to federal employees and uniformed service members, as I said in the beginning of, of this video, right? So the difference between a 401k and a thrift savings plan is that thrift savings plans are only eligible to federal employees and uniformed service members like the military, right? TSP participants can get immediate tax breaks for their savings or they can invest in a Roth IRA so or uh, some type of Roth product because IRAs, individual retirement accounts, are not the only type of Roth products, right? So you have Roth 401ks as well. So you're, you know, you're, uh, you have traditional and Roth 401ks. So then that depends on what your employer wants to do. Now, 
participants in a thrift savings plan, they can only invest in six different types of investments, right? And I'll tell you what those six different types of investments are. So number one is the government securities investment fund, right? So they have an option to invest in that. The other thing they can invest in is what's called a fixed income index investment fund, or what we call, what would be known. So we, on Wall Street, we call fixed income investments. That is the same as a bond, right? So fixed income and bond are, are the same thing. So they're interchangeable words. Uh, the other thing they can invest in are what are called small cap stock index investment funds. They can invest in common stock index investment funds, or they can invest in what's called a specific life cycle fund. And what a specific life cycle fund is, is funds designed to include a mix of securities from the other funds. So that is, you know, my brief overview on, on thrift savings plans. Now, let's talk. Let's have it. Let, let, let's talk. Listen. Now, so first of all, that's what I wanted to cover today. Next week, uh, I'm going to get into um, educational type investment accounts, uh, investment accounts that you set up specifically for saving for education and different types of investment accounts that you can set up for your children, right? But what I want you to take away from today's conversation is this. As you can see, there are a number of different types of investment uh, tools and investment type accounts that you can use uh, to achieve what you want to achieve. And what you have to know is that in order to achieve what you really want to achieve, you're probably going to have to use a mix of the different types of investment accounts available to you and to your children to be able to achieve the things that it is that you want to achieve long-term when it comes to saving and investing. So I think that's, that's very, very important to understand right now. The other thing is this. So let's talk about the different types of, um, of where, where you can go. I'm sorry, where you can go uh, to get these types of accounts. Okay, so let's start off with this. Jack leg down the street should not be investing your money, holding your money, managing your money. When you start setting up brokerage accounts, like whether it's a standard uh, brokerage account, whether it is a retirement account, whether it's a college savings account, whether it's an investment account for your children, whatever it is that you're setting up, don't set that up with just anybody, right? Use reputable, credible companies such as Fidelity, Vanguard, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, uh, you know, Wells Fargo, Chase, use reputable household names to open your investment accounts with. Why do I say that? I say that because at least you know with them, they have something to lose. If they walk away with your money uh, in a way that violates federal or state statutes, uh, you can sue them. And you know when you sue them, you're going to get paid. You're going to dig deep in their pockets, right? If you invest your money with Jack Lake Joe down the street, Jack Lake Joe down the street, first of all, may not even be licensed to even be able to do this. To be able to manage money for someone else, be uh, they're custodial or non-custodial, which means uh, custodial means they're holding your money. You give it to them and they hold it and invest it for you. Non-custodial is you hold your money, but they tell you where to put it, right? So to do that, you have to be at minimum an RIA or a registered investment advisor with the United States Security and Exchange Commission. So one of the things that I want to tell you right now while I have a little bit of time left is this. 
do your homework. Make sure that they're licensed, registered, and that they're credible and 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 they have some industry uh, recognition and a and a sterling positive reputation before you allow them to advise you on your finances. But I am a strong believer that you only open any type of, of investment account uh, with reputable companies like the ones I named previously. So with that in mind, listen, that's all I had to offer y'all today. That's, that's all I had to share. Listen, I hope you guys like this video. Again, if you want to dig into these topics deeper, please feel free to pick up uh, the book I wrote called Investing for Success, uh, Investing Tips for the Everyday Person, because I think that book will be really beneficial to you to help you delve deeper uh, into the, the topics that I've talked about today and that I will be talking about for the next few weeks, okay? So next week, we're going to be talking about, as I said before, we're going to be talking about um, uh, accounts that you set up, investment accounts that you set up for uh, educational purposes, saving for you know college and things of that nature for your children, and different types of investment accounts that you can open uh, specifically for your children uh, with you being the custodian. So we're going to talk about that next week. Guys, as always, I really appreciate you guys so, 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 so much because it's because of you guys uh, then your support that I'm even able to continue making this content. Um, it's the comments and feedback that I get from you guys that encourage me to keep making content. I'm glad that the content that I'm putting out is benefiting you guys, helping you guys, and you guys are learning because that is the ultimate goal. Again, yo, if you haven't already, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit that bell notification. Leave me a comment at the bottom of this video and most definitely hit that join button so you can join the hashtag Real Woke Live Chat Community, which will make you eligible to participate in the hashtag Learn to Earn Cash Giveaway in which I'm giving away a minimum of $1,000 every single month live right here on the hashtag Get Real Woke Podcast. All right, y'all, that's all I had for you guys today. Again, I appreciate those that support me, those who haven't begun to support me yet and are just watching on the sidelines. Hey, baby. You can't win that way. You got to win by participating. Uh, nothing beats a failure but a try. Go ahead and hit that join button. And oh, by the way, if you are on an iPhone, definitely hit the link in, in the comments or descriptions to join the hashtag Real Woke Live Chat community. All right, guys. Thank you guys so much. And until the next hashtag for the free Friday, I'm out.